We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. And this morning, got a, a great first-time guest, uh, FSGA Hall of Famer, Glenn Colton. Uh, he's a lawyer. He's also a longtime radio host. And uh, we've been hanging out since I've been in the, the AL Labor League and uh, really just had been wanting to have Glenn on for a long time. He's a, he's a very busy guy. I really appreciate you joining me this morning. How are you doing, Glenn? Doing great. It's absolutely a pleasure. Always enjoy working with you guys at Rotowire, and uh, I've had some fun competing with you, even though it is always a giant challenge. Yeah. Yes, we are in the uh, American League League of Alternative Baseball Reality. Uh, it's it's Jason Collette's league to to lose this year. It would seem he's got uh, about an eight point lead, um, and then there's there's a bit of a bunch up there, but. Uh, it was really fun hanging out with you guys uh, at the auction this year. Uh, you <clears throat> have uh, partnered with Rick Wolf um, for for a long time uh, in the fantasy baseball industry. Probably the most successful and most famous uh, kind of tandem ownership group out there. Uh, and I was wondering, sort of, how long you guys have been been at it together? So it's been since the 2002 Labor AL auction that was held in uh, at USA Today headquarters in McLean, Virginia. And Rick had been a stalwart of the fantasy sports industry for a long time. I was been playing since, um, you know, since law school, since 1988, excuse me, when a whole bunch of guys from law school got together to play. And we talk about fantasy baseball, but you know, I would read John Hunt. I would read the Baseball Weekly, read about labor all the time. And he called me uh, in the offseason. He said, you know, I've been in the Labor League for a few years, done okay, but I really want to win this. And if we partnered up, I think we could win. So that's how the whole train started running. And, you know, we were low tech back in the day. He lives up in Westchester, north of the city. I was in the city. He picked me up. Started driving to Virginia. I had all the papers on the floor in the well of the car in the front seat, passenger seat. We we're going over every player and prep for that first draft. And it went pretty well in a four by four league, um, which means there's a max of 96 points. We were somewhere in the low 90s running away with the league. And that started everything going. That's so cool. Um, you know, I know a lot of people have tried sort of partnering. Uh, I've, I've had partners and uh, just really impressive for it to be such a long 
long-standing um, tandem there that you guys have have going, and football and baseball, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been sometimes we've become a, a trio with uh, the first lady of fantasy, Stacey Stern, who uh, whose role is to break the ties when there are <laughs> ties. Um, but you know, most of the time we hash it out. And here's one of the real big keys of part playing partners in fantasy sports or managing. I could push player A, he could push player B. But once we say, all right, we're going player B, then we went player B. It's not, oh, if you just didn't make us draft, you know, yo, I'm on Kata, we would have won. In 22 seasons, we have never done that. So when there's like, are there times where you guys just kind of eliminate a guy that one of you is really in a, just because it's still too big of a gap there? I'm sorry, James. I just didn't hear that question. I apologize. All right. Yeah. Uh, have there been times where you just kind of um, rule out a player that one person really likes just because the gap is too big and you're just not going to be able to bridge that gap? Oh, yeah. I mean, that totally happens. But we do it sort of more holistically. Um, you might have seen us sitting uh, in the corridor uh, down in the hotel in Florida where the labor auctions were held. And we literally sit there and go through every single player who might come up in the auction in one day in the American League, the next day in the National League. And we put our value on that player. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about our system, but the system has a lot of players just crossed off that they'll simply not worth right. it because they're never going to be on our team at market value. So that sort of helps streamline the process a bit. But yeah, and, and there are times where like Rick will say, I absolutely can't have Michael Franco on my team, having nothing to do with the player or the person, but something bad he learned of something bad in his personal life when franco was at bat and he's just like i don't want to have it i can't be reminded of this okay no franco <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you mentioned the your guys system it's the the smart system uh you guys are well known for that um so you started playing together in the the early 2000s is that around the same time you guys developed the the smart system yeah i would say that what happened was it was more like the next year in 2003 which we actually went back to back in 2002 and 2003. And that's really what sort of set, okay, it wasn't luck the first time kind of thing. But, you know, Ron Chandler had his Lima plan, low investment mound aces. And it was, we thought, all right, we need a plan. We need an acronym. Yep. So let's come up with an acronym. And it was sort of having a little fun with Ron at the same time, who's just an absolute trailblazer genius. Um, and we just sort of came up with that acronym. But really the key was, we can't debate players in the auction room <laughs> going once going twice sold there's no discussion so we have to know who we want who we don't want who are our targets what are our values and we have full-time jobs so it's much easier to have a system where okay there are guys we're just not going to have because they don't fit the system and it's also it puts us on the same page and you have to stay with the system we can talk about what that means but what we say is and this is how our whole radio Top Gun theme came into play. Say, can't violate the rules. These are, we're going to have rules of engagement. <laughs> can't violate the rules. Never, ever leave your wingman. And it just sort of grew up from that. And I mean, just to give you an example, we try to stay away from injury-prone players, right? That's yeah. one of our rules of engagement. So when a, uh, you know, Carlos Rodon, who I'm sure we'll talk about, comes up, we're like, never, ever leave your wingman. Okay, <laughs> we're out. Yeah, at three bucks, we'd have been in, but that's never going to happen. Um, and that's sort of how we needed a system because 
you know, he, we've gone over every player and I'm doing the bidding, but I know exactly where he stands. I know exactly what we think. And then we can just execute. The thing that I love about the smart system is that it's the type, the, the type of things that are in there. Um, I think if you've played fantasy baseball for six, seven, eight years, you kind of eventually will come to these conclusions independently almost, but they're all sort of right there in, in the smart system and the rules of engagement. Um, I don't know if you, you want to go um, letter by letter at all, but oh, happy to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you just so, kind of break it down? Sure. So the S stands for scarcity. And that means, look, if you can have a top producer at a scarce position, you have an advantage over your opponents. I mean, you know, we're in fantasy football season now and everyone sort of talks about Travis Kelsey in that way. But it's the same thing. You have to look at your player pool. It's different every year, whether you're in a mixed league, an AL only, an NL only. And you say, okay, where are the scarce positions? And then you up the value on that player. That doesn't mean you pay twice the value for a middling player if, by way of example, second base is uh, thin. But it means it's worth going an extra maybe 10, 20, 20, even 25%, arguably, over your value because there's such an advantage. A, over your opponents who have a weaker player at that position, and B, you're not fishing in the very thin, you know, fab pool to try to fill that position, absent, obviously, injury. So that's scarcity. M stands for management. That really means you have to manage the draft or the auction and in season. And it means have a plan. We have the smart system. We have a plan. But we go in and we say, okay, in an auction, we've budgeted it out almost to the dollar. This is how much we're going to go pitching. This is how much we're going to go hitting. This is where our big money players are going to be, outfield, second base, whatever it is. Have a plan, then have a plan B, a plan C, and a plan D, because things go awry. And as soon as you get in the auction room, as soon as you get into the draft room, something happens that you're not going to expect. So you don't, you're not scrambling. You don't know what to do. Okay. Couldn't get Gary Cole. We're going to pivot over here. We're going to go cheaper on pitching. We've moved that money to outfield. Like, boom, that was set up. So that's what management means during the course of the season, during the course of the draft, during the course of the season, it's, you know, get ahead of your opponents in the fab. You got a two-star pitcher going a week ahead. Get that guy now. You've got someone who is obviously coming in in the eighth inning, who's got good ratios. That's a guy who could become a closer, but also will get vulture wins. You know, watch how the big prospects are doing in the minor leagues. I know, James, that's your your thing. But if you get a guy who's hot and you know that the major league team has an opening, grab him a week early if your league allows that. And even if you have, like, tout wars, have to take a dead week, it's worth it. And people have won leagues that way when they've grabbed Jordan Alvarez a week early when he, you know, that's what uh, happened with Rob Leibowitz a few years ago in tout wars. So that's sort of the management um, a stands for anchor. It doesn't mean you need the best pitcher in baseball, but you need one pitcher at the top of your rotation that is going to put up solid ratios, solid win numbers, and absent injury is someone you can count on to sort of give you a baseline of performance. For years in the early days, that was Mike Mussina. He was not the best pitcher in baseball when Pedro was around or Roger Clemens was around, but he was absolutely consistent. You knew you were going to get good base numbers. That really helped. R stands for reliever, which is you have to have one guy who you know is going to close. Doesn't have to be 
as the shirt I'm wearing, Mariano Rivera, <laughs> mm -hmm. or the best pitcher, you know, the best relief pitcher in baseball. But it has to be someone you know is a good closer on a good team. Closers on bad teams become setup guys on August 1st on good teams. And that's a problem because you lose saves for two-thirds of the season. Uh, and T stands for team, and it's pretty straightforward. If you're on a good team, more chances for runs, more chances for ribbies, more at-bats because the lineup turns over. And on the pitching side, obviously, the more games your team wins, the more wins and saves your pitchers can get. Very, uh, very succinct breakdown of, of the smart system there. Um, do you do you have any thing about the system that, you know, I mean, like relievers, you guys came up with this um, you know, 20 years ago, roughly. Uh, the reliever kind of market has kind of shifted, I would say, a little bit in, in those 20 years. Uh, maybe the game's gotten a little younger. Is there is there anything that you guys would tweak at all, or is, does it just still kind of work exactly the way it was meant to work? Well, I mean, it's very league-specific. These are rules. They're not – They're not. some of them are absolute rules, but this one is not. So if, if every reliever is $27 or $28 in an only, you know, you have to sort of pivot. But then get guys who are at least closer. So we did that this year, you know, both in both labor leagues with guys like Alex Lang and Kyle Finnegan and Craig Kimbrell and just sort of guys who at least have the role and get a few of those. I'm not talking about middling, you know, pitchers on good teams because, look, Alex Lang is a classic example. He's got 20-plus saves. If he was on the Astros, he would have never kept the role. If he was on – you know, the Braves, he would have never kept the role because they couldn't afford it. But on a bad team, a guy with the role, all right, that's a pivot. I prefer a locked-in closer, but sometimes the market prices you out. You just can't keep bidding. Yeah, I mean, it. it is a it is a challenge, the, the reliever market in an only league. Uh, I walked away with, like, Jason Adam and Araldis Chapman this year in, in AL Labor. And well, you outbid me on Chapman, so. <laughs> yes, yes, I know we we were, you guys were uh, annoyed that I went the extra dollar there. Um, well, thank it, you in the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that you know I I had worse buys in the auction than than Chapman, but uh, didn't didn't work out exactly how I thought it would. Um, how are your? I I know you're in you're in. Uh, well, actually, you guys are in fourth place. I'm in fifth place, but you guys have a, you guys are much closer to kind of getting into that second second place range and you guys were up there uh pretty recently i believe in al labor um how how are the the rest of your teams doing this year so labor nl is going very very well uh, we're in first place by i think 10 points over uh, the great ron chandler uh and knock on wood we're hoping to just finish it out <laughs> um we've won the al labor league five times we've never won the nl um I can tell you a funny story about how we lost the NL in 2007, but hold that thought. Um, let's see. We have, we're in the NFBC, and we're in first place in our in our 15-team league, um, though I think it's like 70 or 80 overall. Possible run, you know, in the last month, but feel pretty good about that team cashing. Um, I think we're in the top four in the FSGA Champions League, and I have a couple of home leagues where I um, still have a shot at winning them. So we're having a pretty good year. Everything but Tout Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you guys, I, I remember, um, I mean, the, the AL Labor, uh, the auction, the, the NL Labor auction, like, just 
one of the funnest weekends of the year. Um, totally. You guys were, it was kind of funny. You guys kind of clearly after you got Otani, it was clear that, you know, that was, um, a, a key point there. Uh, did you have any other, um, did you get Otani in, in other leagues? And then also, do you have any kind of major regrets or guys, other guys that you got in AL labor that were huge? Fans? Yeah. So we, we don't have Otani in, in any other league as it turns out. Um, you know, Rick really wanted Otani and it's sort of hard to argue with Otani, right? Uh, he had this vision of, Oh, we're going to study this every single week and figure out whether to pitch him or hit him. And the reality is maybe we pitched him twice when he had two start weeks in that six man rotation, because he's, he's just such a dominant hitter in every way. But this is the thing that people forget in an AL only league about Shohei Otani. You can move him between pitcher and util because, and take advantage of another bargain. So if you've got him in your util spot and all of a sudden you see a hitter that you really want, otherwise your hitters are full, you move him to pitcher and you can bid on that hitter or vice versa. You know, you have nine pitchers, including Otani, but wow, there's a $2 bargain. All right. You know, you can move them up. So that's really valuable. And the reality is we paid 36, made a little bit of a mistake there. Uh, should have, should have got him for 35. I'll tell you that in a second, but even as a hitter only, he's worth that. In my oh, yeah. opinion. We, he was at 33. Uh, Steve Gardner said 33. And I was so tempted to just jump it to 35 and be done. But I said, ah, I'm not sure Steve's going to go. So I said 34. Steve did say 35, so we were forced to say, say 36, which, by the way, that $1 we would have used to bid on Chapman, so maybe it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that was a really fun bid. I remember that one. Um, and, I mean, you know, great call by by Rick. Uh, obviously, kind of totally. sad, sad the way the season's sort of ending for Otani here. But, uh, I mean, just absolutely nailed that call. Um, and I – great point about just there there are just these little factors that um have people i think including me sort of overlooked uh before the season just obviously a great hitter great pitcher but just that little thing you mentioned about being able to move him um to bid on certain guys in a in an only league like that um just great thing to consider uh what about uh what about like the rest of the auction did you i know that uh, i got you guys on Chapman, I'm sure that one's not keeping you up at nights, but any any major regrets or, or other just huge values you guys got? So look, there's some of both. Um, when you look at the at the values, uh, Jake Rogers, who not going to be not going to be talked about in too many podcasts and whatever, but in an AL only league for for a, I think a buck, sixteen home runs for a dollar, in a, in a two catcher only league, uh, I mean that's that's a difference maker potentially. There, I mean Alex Lang, we talked about. Uh, you know, a closer with 20 plus saves under 10 bucks that worked out very well. <clears throat> I believed in Jose Barrios. Um, I didn't think at his age, he lost it. And it, I think it was $7 and, you know, got about 150 plus Ks already with a month to go and three, six, one, two, if I'm remembering it correctly. So I'll take that. And look, Wander Franco before all the legal issues wasn't, you know, turned out to be an absolute steal at his value. Um, so those are some pretty good ones. Now, of course, losing Wander Franco and Matt Chapman has not helped our run in September. Uh, on the bad side, Luis Severino, I have to say, I'm just absolutely dead wrong on that, though I'm not giving up, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. 
Uh, and Patrick Sandoval was a huge miss. I, I don't know. Maybe you can tell me why it's not working. The changeup is still nasty. Over 20, 21, I think, percent swinging strike rate. Still throws hard. But, I mean, 419, 145 is not getting it done. And that really hurt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I was I was right there with you guys on Severino. I I think uh, I was probably bidding with you guys uh, for him, and I, I got him in in a couple leagues. I probably lucky I didn't get him in more leagues. And then, uh, yeah, I mean with Sandoval, I've he's someone I've been off of for a couple of years just because I just I have it ingrained in my mind that he's a whip killer, and uh, I really like to protect whip, uh, if possible, especially kind of in the range where he goes. But, um, yeah, I haven't, haven't studied him a ton, uh, this season, but yeah. That, that has- yeah I mean, you're, you're right about the whip issue, but we also are top of the rotation with George Kirby. Oh, sure. So it gives you some flexibility to go after the K's and look, I really thought the angels would be good. Right. So I thought there would be wins there to be had. Um, you know, Kirby of course worked out very, very well. Uh, as well. And then, you know, Julio Rodriguez, uh, when you spend big money on Julio Rodriguez and Chohei Otani, those guys aren't great. You're not winning. Well, those guys were great, but yet we're still not winning (laughs) because of guys like Sandoval and Severino. Okay. uh, We're going to head to a quick break. I got to read a a message from one of our sponsors, but then when we come back, I'm really excited to talk uh, Yankees with Glenn. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. 
That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We know the weather can impact how far a ball can fly, but we never know what all the heat and humidity or cold air is really doing to the ball. The Home Run Forecast Index gives us an easy way to determine how good or bad the air is for ball flight. The index is calculated by measuring stadium-specific weather conditions and is displayed on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being the most unfavorable for a good ball flight and 10 indicating the most favorable air. There's a strong correlation between the index and the number of runs scored per game and the number of home runs hit. Games that have the highest index, 10 for the whole game, average over 10 runs and 2.8 homers over the course of the year. An index is created for each game, so you can see what it will be in any stadium and how the weather's influence might change over the course of the game, as well as the wind direction. Right now, you can get access to the HRF Premium site for only $5 a month and see what the index will look like for every hour of every game. Go to homerunforecast.com now to sign up. Okay, Glenn, back with you. Uh, So I... I the Yankees have just been kind of a fascinating team to me just because uh like kind of dating back um like a month ago or so I just randomly kind of tweeted out uh my rough sort of farm system rankings and uh I had the Yankees I think second and I didn't really think anything of it and it was just a onslaught of people who thought it was a, a crazy high ranking and then an onslaught of Yankees fans saying like finally someone understands how good our farm system is um what i mean this is this is the first time in a while where the yankees farm system is actually kind of uh front and center um what what's your mindset as a yankees fan right now well i guess my view is i hope they finally learn the lesson right this is a team that was built for june every year it's a team that's built for june not built for october I mean, that you can beat up, and no offense to these guys who are major leaguers and have more athletic ability than I'll ever have, but you can beat up on the Zach Davies of the world and the Zach Grinke at the end of his career and the Kenny Rosenbergs and whatever, but they weren't built to win in October, and they, for years, have not played fundamental baseball. I grew up, move runners, take pitches, defense up the middle, you know, do the smart things and hustle. And this is a team that for years has done none of that. I mean, and the trades have been mind-boggling. I mean, truly mind-boggling. You know, to, to bring in Josh Donaldson at that cost is something I will never, ever, ever understand. And you see him, 
I don't know, James, you get, you're in a playoff game, you're down two runs and three runs and the guy before you walks on four pitches and you're hitting 200. How do you swing at the first pitch? <laughs> and if you're Aaron Boone, how are you not giving the take sign? These are the things that need to change fundamentally. And the team just pulls the ball too much. They just are pull happy. And here's what I don't get. A lot of the hitters are righty and the porch in right field is really short. So why are they doing that? Derek Jeter went to the Hall of Fame going the other way. You know, it's not that complicated to just hit it where it is pitched. So there are really things that need to be fixed. And maybe with this new crop, that can be fixed. What would you do this offseason if you were in Brian Cashman's shoes? Obviously, you have this sort of wave of, you know, guys like Volpe and Dominguez who we'll get to, um, that you have this older crop of guys as well. Like, how would you approach the offseason? I think you just have to get rid of Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, I hated the trade when it was made. Look, he's super fun to watch when he hits at 119 miles an hour and 450 feet. But the reality is he's rarely healthy. He can't play the field. He can't run at even half speed to try to score a run. I mean, there's that famous tape. And he just swings all the time in, in critical situations. So he, I think it's really a problem. you got to get rid of these guys, these older players who – can't do the basic things and, and i think he clogs up the lineup i'd get rid of him and i would stop signing big money injury prone players i mean or trading for them josh donaldson's an example carlos rodon he's wonderful when he's on as he was last year but we say this in fantasy all the time you draft a guy like that he gets hurt i'm sorry like, like that's the risk you took but you mm -hmm. but i think they have to stop doing that when they went out and got garrett cole fine this is a horse and anybody could get hurt but if you're going to spend that kind of money, that makes sense. And the other thing is they don't have some of the basic things you need. When they were great, you know, the core four, I think Jorge Posada is a very underrated portion of that team. You need that guy who is your catcher. You need that guy who is your closer and you know is going to lock down games. They don't have either of those things. So I think you go out and you figure out who's going to be my lockdown closer. Go get an everyday catcher, you know, and then Wells can learn from that guy. Um, and get rid of all the sort of veterans that are blocking the way for the younger players. Now, that doesn't mean get rid of Anthony Rizzo, who has one more year, and I think you keep him. He's a great defensive player at first base. Uh, like Glaber, like Volpe, you know, you, you obviously Aaron Judge is going nowhere. But then there's still places you can fill in. So that's sort of my thought about the Yankees. And if you want to keep a player like Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, as your 26th man on the roster who can play every position, but basically pitcher in first base, and he can even catch in a pinch. I'm fine with that, but he can't get 500 plate appearances. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, you mentioned, you know, Volpe. Uh, I think he's, um, he's a really interesting case for just, I, I'm fascinated to see how he's valued by fantasy managers heading into next season. Uh, the counting stats, you know, I think if you if you drafted him and were hoping for more than a 2020 season, um, personally, I think you were, were kind of misreading um, what to kind of expect from Volpe. But then, you know, he's hitting 217, uh, which takes away some of it. And uh, the runs in RBI aren't, aren't that great. Um, so I think you're getting probably a guy who's going to get to 2020 again next year. Um, and it's just a question of where the batting average is. I, I don't know what your sort of 
uh, forecast is for, for how much better he gets from year one to year two is? I think he gets better. I think the team around him gets better, which of course has affected his runs and RBIs. I think his big year is, is 2025. Okay. But I think, look, this is a guy, yeah, he's hitting 217, but the Babbitt with his speed is 265, which is low in my mind and due mm-hmm. for a correction. 43% hard hit rate says the Babbitt with his speed and that hard hit rate shouldn't be 265. It should at least be major league average of around 300, which changes you know, back the envelope 217 to 235, 240, which is a much different batting average. And if he just, he makes contact, but he pulls the ball too much. And I think he's going to learn to, you know, use the whole field, especially right field, as we talked about in Yankee Stadium. I think he'll be a little bit undervalued next year because of that 217, but I think he's going to be a huge bargain in, in 2025. Yeah, I think that that's that's a good read on it. Twenty twenty five does seem like sort of the year where he could maybe return like top forty player value, um, and then it's just a question about where the ADP is this year. I think at like a two forty average from Volpe next year seems very doable uh, to me. Um, Glaber Torres, I don't have him anywhere, so I hadn't really realized it till I uh, started prepping for this pod, but. Um, he's just having a really underrated season. Um, I, you know, I know, I think you guys have him in, in ale labor. Um, do you think at age 26 here, this is kind of the first of his prime years? Um, you know, he, he went, uh, you know, he's, he's got 20 homers, 12. Well, he's, he's one of 13 players with 20 homers, 12 steals and a 270 average this year. And most of the other guys are guys that, consistently go first or second round in fantasy drafts. Um, so I'm just wondering if you sort of see this as kind of the, the beginning of a, a stretch of seasons from Torres here. I'm a huge Glaber fan, uh, both in fantasy and reality. He was miscast as a shortstop. He was originally going to come up and play third base years ago when he was 20 years old, but he's in his natural position at second base. He's got great, good range for second baseman, got a great arm, of course. And I think people forget how young he is and how long he's been around. He was sort of billed as the savior, right? When they traded for him, I think it was in 2015 for a role as Chapman. He's today 26 years old and has over 2,900 plate appearances in the major leagues. And one of our one of our rules of engagement is when players make the major leagues at a really young age, it's because they're really talented. And I think Glaber is really talented and, you know, He's made the best contact of his career this year, over 80%. You know, he gets on base. And I think he got babbipped a little bit this year, too. Maybe about 20 20 points below his career, despite hitting the ball harder um, and making more contact. So this is a guy I think will never be, you know, 40-40 or something like that that people were expecting of him. But when the team gets a little better and he's going to be just in his age 27 season, I think he's going to be severely undervalued. Yeah, I, this is the exact type of guy that I like taking um, with one of my first like five or six uh, position player picks in a draft because he's giving you everything. He's giving you speed without being one of those guys who's taking a bunch of other stuff off the table. Um, you know, I just I, he went. I did this super early um, fifteen team NFBC draft where he did seven rounds a couple weeks ago and he went in the seventh round there and I mean I I think he'll probably go higher than the seventh round um, 
once you know ADP's out and everything like that. But I uh, really love uh, Glaber as um, a guy to, to kind of build around next year. Um, any any initial thoughts? I know it's only been like a handful of games for for most of these guys. Oswald Peraza's obviously been up and down, but uh, anything catch your eye with uh, Dominguez? Obviously had the the first first uh, home run on his first swing against Justin Verlander, and then you got Pereira and Wells. Any, anything catch your eye with these guys? You know, Dominguez just looks like he's not afraid. And at 20 years old, that's pretty impressive, right? I mean, I don't remember if he's 20 or 21. I thought he was 20. Yeah, um, but he doesn't look afraid. And Aaron Boone, I'm sometimes confused by his strategic calls about taking pitches, moving runners, things of that nature. But he's a player's manager, and he knows his players. And he just said, you know what? I'm putting this kid right into the middle of the lineup. He didn't feel he needed to protect him by batting him eighth or ninth. And that says a lot to me. You know, I just think players, again, we talked about this, who make the majors at 20, there's a reason. And if I'm the Yankees, I just put them in center field and run. And, yeah, you know, Get a guy on your roster next year who could step in and play a decent center field if need be, if, you know, for some reason Dominguez needs another minor league tour. But I think you got a centerpiece there in Dominguez who's, you know, been talked about in our circle since he's 16, but he's still only 20. So it seems like forever. Um, I like Oswald Peraza more than most. I think they screwed him up, um, shuttling him different positions back and forth to the minor leagues and, all of this stuff. And now that he's basically got a position and even before he came up, his last 21 games in AAA was 333. So I, I really like Peraza and he's got a mature approach at the plate. Doesn't chase too much, makes contact, doesn't really strike out. This is the kind of player they don't have other than, you know, four years ago, DJ LeMay. They need a guy who's just going to put the bat on the ball, run well, play good defense. So I like Peraza a lot. Yeah. I, uh, was definitely I definitely uh, completely misread the Yankees shortstop situation this year. I thought Peraza would. Both. <laughs> thought Peraza, I, I got him in labor for some like thirteen dollars, something crazy probably. Um, so I just thought they were going to be, you know, he's a good defensive shortstop. He'll start there. Volpe will come up and they'll figure it out from there. But yeah, that didn't didn't work out that way. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a good call out on Peraza as being maybe a. A forgotten man heading into next year especially if people have kind of moved on to football uh and then yeah i think you nailed it with dominguez like one of the best things about him is that it's kind of hard to see how he's not the everyday center fielder next year like he would have to be really bad basically to get demoted out of that role um so yeah that's it's interesting with with peraza um Carlos Rodon, Rodon, Nestor Cortez, uh, both are going to be back, I would assume. Um, you know, they're injured, they're under contract, um, or they have been injured this year. Uh, poor surface stats, obviously a lot of injury concerns with both guys. Um, you know, the smart system probably might say to, to stay away, especially from Rodon, but uh, do you see either of them possibly being undervalued heading into next year? Well, I guess that sort of depends on what you mean by undervalued, right? If either of them throws 160 innings or 170 innings, they'll be undervalued. Yeah. The question is whether they'll do that. So what we do is we say, okay, Carlos Rodon, if he's completely healthy, I'm going to make up numbers. He's a, you know, tw 
let's say $25 pitcher. I'm just making that up. But then we say, well, what are the odds he pitches the whole season? Small. He's injury prone. So if you think he's only going to pitch half the season, well, we'll value him at 12 or 13, which means we'll never get him. Mm-hmm. And so we spend no time in the preparation on the guys like Rodon mm-hmm. because someone else is going to be willing to pay the freight. I mean, look, Ian Kahn is a phenomenal fantasy baseball player. He's in the labor AL league with us, and he sat next to us during the auction. I think you were on one side and, and Ian was on the other. And Ian, you know, pushed all in on Carlos Rodon. And I'm like, I'm rooting for you, <laughs> you know, and I just can't do it. I just can't do it. Um, I'll root for him as a Yankee fan, but I can't do it. What about Nestor? You know, same thing. I think Nestor is one of those guys who's a much better real life pitcher than fantasy pitcher. And he's got that fire and he's got all the arm angles and he's got all these things, you know, he can do to be effective in a big game. But I think just the year he had last year is going to overvalue him as well. He kind of reminds me, and this may be a reference that doesn't work for some of the listeners, but you know, to the uh, major league, to Eddie Harris, <laughs> the guy who threw, you know, junk balls and spitballs and, and, and different types of pitches, and he got the job done. But that's good for real life, and it's not really the guy I want to anchor my staff in fantasy. Now, uh, Clark Schmidt is a guy who got off to a really rough start this year um but since uh since about mid-may he's got a 3.82 era a 121 whip 85k seven wins in 94 and a third uh have you seen sort of progression from schmidt that that might have you interested in in him for next year is there another level there is is this kind of the stretch he's been on something you think he can continue next year I think he can. I think that this is another guy where they sort of messed around with him. He went from, you know, starter to bulk reliever to late reliever, back to starter, back to, you know, minor leagues. They've been sort of shuffling him all around for a couple of years. They even brought him in, I think, to the playoffs last year against Cleveland in a critical situation in the ninth inning. Um, As a starter, just settling in, He's not, a, he's not an SP1 or an SP2, but he's a guy I think will be undervalued, especially if the Yankees return to being a good team. He could win 13, 14 games uh, without even pitching at the top of his level. Yeah, I, I think his usage, um, the, the way they've kind of handled him has been so bizarre, Like, but uh, he's finally kind of settled in. Um, I think I remember his very first big league appearance he got called in out of the bullpen with runners on base um, to make his first like, big league appearance. I was just so confused by them choosing to, to have that be how they used him. Um, now you, you mentioned John Carl Stanton, like I, I don't even know what they would have to attach to get off of him um, or just how much of that contract they would have to eat to get off of him. Um, it doesn't seem like he can move anymore. Is that kind of what you attribute, you know, the fact that he, until last year, he hadn't really been a a huge batting average liability, but he has been since the start of 2022. Yeah. I mean, I I watch him play and I think he's chasing for no, this is the eye test, you know, he's chasing for, for no reason and he can't run at all. And he's a liability you know, on defense, which is all problematic, but I don't know how long he even has left on that contract. I'm trying to look it up as we speak. Um, but I don't think it's that long anymore on, on the contract. I mean, 
uh, it runs out, I think, in 27. So, yeah, it's got a few more years. But I don't think it's huge numbers the way it used to be, like what his contract was compared to the market. So eat half of it. Someone will take him and, and let him go. Um, he's just It's not a player built for October where you have to hustle and you have to you know, take extra bases and you have to play defense. And, you know, it's just frustrating to watch because the talent is all there, but he's never adapted to the game, you know, to playing in New York, in my opinion. And it's unfortunate. DJ LeMahieu's had a, a pretty good run. Um, for those who've been paying attention, he's got like an 840 OPS since uh, July 28th. He's uh, been leading off. I don't know exactly how that would shake out with a healthy Anthony Rizzo. Um, do you expect him to kind of enter next year with a, an everyday role? And, and how has he been looking lately? So I think he's looked better. I think it's been health issues, and I think they've underplayed the health issues. Uh, you know, they have him under contract, I think, through 26. So he's going to be around. I like the notion of LeMayu as, you know, a, a Tony Phillips to call up an old reference, you know, a, a sixth man in a basketball reference, a guy who can play first, second, third, you know, play good defense at all those positions. And I'm perfectly happy with him getting 450 at-bats or something like that, spelling Rizzo, spelling Torres, spelling Peraza third base, you know, Peraza scuffles. Fine, sit down for three days, get your stuff together. We got a guy. I think that works. And without Stanton clogging up the DH, you can move Rizzo there. You can move Judge there. Um, so I think there's a real role for LeMayu to play. And if you have LeMayu plus a 26th man in, in kind of Falefa, you kind of cover it everywhere, especially with, you know, Peraza who can play a bunch of positions. Then you can just go out and get the guys you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with your plan of getting rid of Stanton, that definitely makes the pieces fit a, a lot nicer. Um, and then if they don't get rid of Stanton, then it's sort of LeMayu and Peraza and we're sort of hoping that they don't keep messing with Peraza. And, you know, hopefully it's not a halfway through spring training. We're still not even sure if Peraza's on the opening day roster. You got to give him a position. Like, give him a position. Either he's playing third base every day with the Yankees or he's playing third base every day in AAA, <laughs> you know, or trade him. Those are your three options. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so Clay Holmes has been uh, – one of the most frustrating players that I've oh, <laughs> had on teams this season. Uh, it's just, there's something about, cause you know, it, it, there were some, you know, is he going to be the primary closer? Is he going to stay healthy? And for the most part, he's state, he's stayed healthy. He, you know, he's been the, the primary closer. There was like a two week stretch where it seemed like it was Michael King maybe, but um, just to have a guy basically stay healthy, stay in the role and still struggle to get to 20 saves like over the course of a full season, just extremely frustrating. Um, is it just, is there something about the ninth inning with him? Is, is he just better suited for, for the eighth inning? You know, I don't, I, I went to look and the advanced stats aren't really that good. I mean, the swinging strike rate for a, for a closer is I think below par. He's throwing first pitch strikes under 60%, which always creates danger. Um, he doesn't get an inordinate number of ground balls. So you're pitching in small parks in New York, in Boston, in Toronto. 
it's just not the shutdown that was for like two months when, mm-hmm. when nobody knew sort of what he was and, and knew that one pitch. There's exactly one player in the history of baseball that can throw one pitch and be successful. <laughs> and Clay Holmes is not that guy. Is he a valuable member of a bullpen? Yes, but I don't see him being a lockdown closer. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I see him being an effective in streaks closer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh be interesting to see what they do with the bullpen there. Cause I, I definitely sounds like I'm not the only one frustrated by, uh, by Clay Holmes. Um, so they've got, if, or go yeah, ahead. Sorry about that. I was going to say, if Clay Holmes was so locked down, why is Michael King closing sometimes? Why is Wandy Peralta spent two weeks as the closer? You know, uh, why were they running Clark Schmidt out there last year uh, in, in the ninth inning? They know that this is a valuable pitcher. I mean, the bigger mystery to me is why Luizaga never became a closer. Candidate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's uh, – I think it's maybe just the back, back-to-back back days type of thing with, with him and just always – because, I mean, few guys have had as many injury concerns coming up as Loisega, and obviously that's why he's in the bullpen. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, be interesting to see what they do with that ninth inning. Like, I'm, I'm not really touching any Yankees reliever um, in any early drafts, I, w- I would say. Uh, I agree. Now, they're stretching out Michael King. I think he threw five solid innings in his last appearance. Is this uh, – is this a crazy move? Like, are you are you excited to see where it goes? Do you think it's going to backfire? I think it's worth – this is exactly the time to check it out. Now, all of a sudden, you know, they're only seven games back in the loss column with, you know, 20-some-odd games to play. So then their season's not over. It's a very long shot, but the, the kids are, are moving them up. But that said, the this is the time to figure it out, right? Stretch them out carefully, three innings, four innings, five innings, and see what you have. Because, look, in Major League Baseball today – if you can pitch routinely five or six good innings, you're an extremely valuable starter. And he's more valuable to them as a starter because he's not, they've decided he's not a closer. So let's see. I think it's exactly the right thing to try to figure out right now. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how, how this experiment goes over the rest of the season. Um, I, so I kind of like Randy Vasquez and Luis Heal. Obviously, Vasquez has gotten some spot starts this year. Uh, Heal coming back from Tommy John surgery. Like I like these guys for deep, you know, draft and hold. Maybe like the bench of like an AL labor type of situation. Um, you know, I know you you like the way Luizic has been pitching. And any other like Yankees you wanna you wanna kind of touch on here? Um, before we maybe get to a guy who might have might be a, a non-Yankee next season. <laughs> well, I, you know, I haven't seen Kinsley enough of Heal and, and Vasquez, but I think they have not handled the young pitchers very well. I mean, the Davy Garcia thing continues to boggle my mind. They they basically shifted the entire uh, 2020 playoff rotation to let him start a game. Uh, it didn't make any sense to me then, so. I worry about how they handle some of these young pitchers, but you know, it really depends. You get into March and and Cortez and Rodon and, you know, Cole are there and you're going to go with King. I don't think you have to push the kids. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be so interesting to see what they kind of decide as sort of their opening day rotation, because if you've got, you know, if you've got Rodon 
and Clark Schmidt and Nestor Cortez as three of your five starting pitchers, I feel like you probably need to have a six and a seventh that you feel decent about waiting in the wings. You absolutely do. But, you know, I think the question is, is there a incentive laden contract for Luis Severino to bring him back? That's a big question. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I anticipated your question. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about Luis Severino because, uh, you know, he's had, he's shown flashes. I mean, he, he still throws hard. Um, I, just it's weird to me to, to think that he's just not good anymore despite um really not losing any velocity but uh what, what what's your take been on on him and just sort of how his seasons progress because it's not as bad as it was you know uh, like six weeks ago yeah this is a pure guess on my part i think he's tipping sure i think they figured it out he he, he throws some pretty nasty stuff mm-hmm and his swinging strike rate is under 9%, throwing at 96, 97 with, you know, other stuff. There's no issue that I can see, you know, of health or my eye doesn't see some problem with the delivery. I'm not seeing the tipping. I'm not sophisticated enough to see that, um, nor do I study enough tape to see that. But I really think that that might be it. Um, because otherwise, there's just no reason for him to be this bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that, that that would make sense to me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you think it's in play that he's he's back next year? Listen, you get a guy with that kind of arm who throws that hard, who's had that kind of success on the big stage, and you can get him at some upside price, why not? I mean, you're the Yankees, right? It's I'm making up numbers. You give him $10 million with an upside to 17 or whatever, why not? I, I think it would be, I'd I'd be very, I'd be more open to drafting him. I think next year if he came back to the Yankees than if he just signed with like the Phillies or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I'd like for fantasy, you'd like to see him in San Francisco or L.A. Sure. Right, of course. You know, some big park with a team that's you know fixed pitchers, um, maybe even yeah. Cleveland you know, has a history of doing well, sure. Lucas Giolito, notwithstanding, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, I don't know. I kind of see him, he'll test the market, but when yeah. no one's given him five-year contract or a four-year contract, maybe he comes back and bets on himself. Glenn, this has been uh, an absolute blast for me. Um, yep. You're a, you're a hall of famer. You're a great guy. You're uh, extremely busy. Um, so I really appreciate you you taking the time this morning. Do you want to let the listeners know, like, sort of what what you've got going on and and uh, that type of thing? I know you're in the the midst of fantasy football season. Oh yeah, well there's uh, my not day job, if you will. You can catch uh, Rick Wolf and me and Colton Wolfman on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio XM eighty seven every Tuesday night ten to midnight. Uh, catch me on Twitter or slash X at Glenn Colton one. And yeah, we're September is tough for the fantasy player who plays baseball and football because we're still trying to stay on top of the baseball teams that are, you know, in contention. And it's fab day in fantasy football, and there's about 12 leagues that need to be managed. And that's one right. of the great things about having partners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I, I can't imagine how much time goes into that uh, on Sundays uh, once football season gets going for guys like you. So, again, really appreciate you stopping by. This was, was a blast. Yeah, appreciate it. 
happy to come on anytime. Thanks, Glenn.